Our scripture this morning comes to us from Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 15. Listen now for a word from God. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. But what do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. God has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. And I know that whatever God does is final, Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. And God's done this so that people should fear him. What's happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before already. Because God makes the same things happen over and over again. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God. Thank you for today, and God, thank you for this time set aside to dwell on your word. Lord, I pray that whatever wisdom we would glean this morning would come from you, and not from me. Amen. So time is more than just the hands on a clock. It's more than just the setting and the rising of the sun. Even the writer of Ecclesiastes, who broods about the absurdity and the contradiction of the universe, everything is vanity, vapor, it's all meaningless, mere breath, she says in some translations. Even she understands that time is not just mechanical. It's also filled with a sense of meaning. There is a time, she says, set aside for everything under the sun. A time and a season for everything under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. Planting and harvesting peace and war, embrace and let go, gather and scatter. It was like this for me when I was living in a monastery in northern Germany with a group of Benedictine nuns. And um, on, on my first full day at the monastery, they sat me down and we, we picked out you know, the chores 
I was going to do, and I've, I've shared that story with you all before, and if you haven't heard it, just ask me after the service. I'll be glad to share with you how shameful that was for me. <laughs> but uh, they, they started telling me the schedule, and they were telling me there is a time for everything, and so I, I actually have the schedule still, still, and I want to share this with you. This is what I did for about four months when I was living overseas with a group of nuns. So at, at 5.15 a.m., we woke up. I'm not a morning person. Uh, at 5.45, we had morning prayers. Uh, and then after morning prayers, which ended at about 6.30 a.m., we did Lectio Divina, or kind of devotions from the Bible until 7.30. And at 7.30, we had our second prayer service. And we prayed until breakfast at 8.30. And then we worked from 9 a.m. until the noon prayer service. Then we had free time from 1 to 3. We worked again from 3 p.m. until 5.15. And then we had dinner. 6 p.m. we had Vespers, which is another prayer service. And then at 7.45 p.m. after Vespers, we had vigil. And we reinstituted our vow of silence that we took each evening. We did this every single day. And I, some of you are probably pretty impressed right now. Like, wow, Pastor Garrett. How did you keep that schedule for four months? And I, I just want you to know, I didn't. I was late every single morning for prayer. Every single morning. And you might be thinking, oh, he's exaggerating. It was every single morning I was late. And I would walk into this little chapel where they had the prayer meeting. And all the sisters, they wait for the whole community to show up. So if you're late, you're making the whole community late. And I would walk in. And all of the sisters would have their heads bowed, you know, very reverentially. And then as soon as the door creaked open and I came stomping into the room, they would look up and smile. And I would sit down. And as soon as I sat down, they would all stand up. And it was time to start praying. I did that for four months. And I, I had a hard time adjusting to the schedule. I had a hard time holding space for everything that was set aside. Even in Detroit, we know a little bit about time, don't we? I think it was Henry Ford that started the five-day work week. And um, eight hours a day you're going to work, Monday through Friday, five days a week for 40 hours. We regiment our schedules, whether religious or economic, because we know that time will pass one way or another. And so we find it helpful to organize it in the best way that we can so that we can do the things that we want to do, be productive, or to find meaning. Knowing the time, knowing what is going on dictates our response. It informs how we live and the decisions we make. We all respond to time in this way, but unfortunately, we can't control it. Time is in God's hands, the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us. Past, present, and future, all of it is held in God's hands. And where we live, she says, is neither in the past or the future. It's in the present. The problem is that sometimes we find it difficult to remain in the present, don't we? We find it difficult to escape the past and the future. In the church, we're really, really good at doing this, particularly with the past. We remember the good old days. 
when that one pastor and his wife were still here walking on water, turning water into wine, calming the storms of our lives. We remember when the pews were still filled, when our children still attended church, when the choir gathered, when we had a thriving Sunday school program and every single room was filled with different age groups. We remember when, you all know better than I do, you remember those days. We do it too as a country. We remember when gas was a quarter a gallon. I remember 95 cents, that's how old I am. We remember when you could work your way through college with just a summer job. I, I don't remember that. <laughs> we remember when we had our health, when we had our friends, when we had it all, it seemed, everything except worries and troubles and responsibilities. We remember when the world was still right and true and at peace. It's not that this nostalgia is inherently bad, it's just that sometimes we can get stuck there, can't we? We can get stuck in the way things used to be, remembering only what we think was good and pure and true. This is the sin of nostalgia that we have to be careful to avoid. We get to choose what we remember. We get to tell our own stories, and if we aren't careful, we will only remember exactly what we want to remember. And soon, we find ourselves molding an idol out of our golden memories, some innocent calf of remembrance that we've quickly fashioned, placed on a pedestal and bowed down to. Take the state of Florida, for example, where Republican lawmakers are going to roll out new educational curriculum that will teach our children what they call the truth about the history of slavery in our country. One particular passage of this new curriculum would like children to know that slaves actually benefited from the work they were required to do because in many cases they were taught life skills that could be applied in the future to their personal benefits. That's just one example. And all this, we should remember, is coming from the same group of lawmakers that are terrified of present-day America, where drag shows exist, where gender fluidity is becoming the norm, where books showcasing the diversity of our country are being sold and taught throughout the nation. These lawmakers, many of whom claim to fight on the side of freedom, find themselves terrified of their present-day realities and the implications of the freedom they claim to support. And this fear of the present and the force of freedom in this country makes them anxious for the future, and so they desperately try to cling to power by rewriting the past to the way they want to remember it and the way they want others to remember it, controlling the present lives of our children so as to shape, hopefully, a more palatable future. It's not much better when we start heading the other way either, when we start longing for the future. 
or fearing it. Again, it's not a bad thing to desire a better and brighter future or to worry about what may happen to us. This can drive us toward doing deeds of love and justice. It can drive us to prepare ahead and make good plans. You think of the great prophets and the activists in this country and in the history of our world. They did this. When Fannie Lou Hamer said, in order for the poor and oppressed people to become part of a society that is meaningful, the system under which we now exist has to be radically changed. She was emphasizing the need for radical change now within our current societal system in order for the poor and oppressed to truly belong in a meaningful manner far in the future, or hopefully not far, more immediate. That desire for a better future can be a lighthouse in the midst of the storms of life. It can guide us forward. But like nostalgia, it has a shadow side as well. We can be so focused on what is to come or what should be or what we have envisioned for ourselves and the restlessness of our evenings that we miss what's right in front of us. Have any of y'all seen the movie Click with Adam Sandler? It, it was not a very popular movie, but it's perfect for this sermon. So in the movie Click, if you don't know, the actor Adam Sandler plays the character Michael Newman, a workaholic architect who is constantly bullied by his overbearing boss. He often places work as the priority over his wife and two children. And one night, Michael, who's sitting trying to watch TV, he's so fed up with how many remotes there are in the house, so he wanders into a bed, bath, and beyond to purchase a universal remote. He stumbles around the store, pretty tired for a while, before falling on one of those showcased beds that always look so comfortable. And when he falls onto it, he falls immediately asleep. When he wakes up, he receives a free remote from a man named Morty. But he's warned by Morty that the remote is non-returnable and he can't destroy it. Michael quickly learns that the remote can control his reality and he uses it to get an upper hand at work. He pauses reality to mess with his boss and humiliate him and even to fast forward past difficult things like illnesses. When he fast forwards reality, his body goes on autopilot. He's simply going through the motions of everyday life. After he doesn't get a promotion at work he thought he should get, he really can't handle the disappointment, and so he fasts forward ahead to when he does get that longed-for promotion. And in the process, he skips over an entire year of his life, an entire year where he is just on autopilot. And while he was on autopilot, he finds out that he and his wife have been in marriage counseling. His kids are older, the family dog died, and what's more, the remote now has learned his preferences and begins to skip things automatically. Arguments with his wife, the remote fast forwards. Mundane daily tasks like showering, brushing your teeth, fast forward. Waiting for the promotion at work, fast forward. When Michael learns he's been promoted again and that someday he could be CEO of the company, the remote, knowing his preferences, automatically skips to the time when he is the CEO. 
And now Michael is 10 years older, and he's divorced, and he lives alone, and his children are moody teenagers. After he gets into an argument with his now ex-wife, the remote, knowing his desire to escape such things, skips ahead another six years, and he misses the death of his father. He asks the remote to see the last time he saw his father, and it's a memory of Michael rebuffing his dad about going out to eat together. All of this is far too painful for Michael, so he asks to fast forward yet again. And the remote takes him ahead several more years to his son's wedding. And this continues until Michael is on his deathbed, talking with Morty, the guy who gave him the remote, who we find out is actually the angel of death, come to pay Michael a visit. All our yearning for the future and our worship of the past is mostly our attempt to escape the present. It's why we talk about the good old days when the church or the country was once so, so great. It's hard to hold the anxiety of this moment. It's hard to hold the unbearable weight of silence, especially when we don't like the moment or the season of time we happen to find ourselves in. One of the church fathers, Irenaeus, says that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God, the fullness of God within us, is revealed in our ability to become truly and fully alive. And I think that means asking ourselves, what time is it in my life? And then committing to becoming present to every activity that happens under the sun during that time. And not everything that happens is going to be positive or happy. Some of it is going to be sad and will cause us a lot of heartache. But there's a time for that. Our task is to discern what time it is and live it to the best of our ability. At the end of the movie Click, when Michael is on his deathbed regretting the way he's rushed through his whole life, he falls asleep and reawakens at Bed Bath & Beyond all those years before. And when he goes home, he finds that the magical remote is there, but it has a note attached to it from Morty that says, good guys need a break. When Michael throws the remote in the trash, <clears throat> after Michael throws the remote in the trash, he gets busy with a pillow fight with his two kids and his wife. And he finally learns at the end of the movie what I think the writer of Ecclesiastes has been talking about. There's a time for everything under the sun. We can't control what comes and goes. Our task, our God-given gift, is to live discerning what time it is currently in our lives, even through all the complexity and absurdity. Our task is not to dwell in the rose-tinted past or even the trauma-laden past, though we do need to find healing from that. Our task 
is not only to keep our eyes ahead at the unseen future, it is to ask, what time is it for me? And then live it. This is the gift of being human, the glory of God revealed within us. So here's my challenge to all of you and to me in 2024. It's time to work. Go work. If it's time to sleep, go sleep. If it's time to mourn, then allow yourself to mourn. If it's time to celebrate, then embrace the joy and share it with others. If it's time to speak up for what's right, then go tell it on the mountain. If it's time to listen, open both your ears as wide as you can and pray for understanding. If it's time to stand firm, plant your feet and hold your ground. If it's time to adapt and change, then be like water flowing around the rocks. If it's time to seek forgiveness, then practice humility. If it's time to forgive, then do so generously and free both yourself and the other. If it's time to be alone, cherish the solitude and use it for reflection. If it's time to be with others, then engage them fully and cherish the community and connection that you do have. If it's time to teach, share your wisdom freely. If it's time to learn, embrace the teachings with an open mind and heart. If it's time to save, be prudent and wise. If it's time to give, do so with a generous and open hand. And if it's time to start a new venture, step forward with courage. And if it's time to let something go, do so with grace and gratitude for the journey. In every season under heaven, remember that God is with us. Trust that the same God who holds time in his hands holds you too. And embrace each moment, each season, knowing it's been set aside and has some meaning. For in doing so, you embrace the glory of God within you. This is the rhythm of existence, the sacred spiritual dance that we've all been invited to participate in. So let us live fully in each moment, recognizing that in every time and season, there's purpose and there's beauty and there's a glimpse of the divine. And let us live fully alive, because when we do that, we reveal the glory of God to the whole world. Amen.